God loves stories. God loves stories. I love stories. I, I actually, I love telling a story of how my wife and I met. We were students at Indiana Wesleyan University and um, it was kind of the beginning of our freshman year and it was kind of that whole, like, I saw her from across the way, like, you know, all the students parted and there she was, like, kind of that kind of, kind of that whole thing. And we met, we talked, and we were just like, hey, let's keep hanging out. Let's leave all these, the rest of these students and let's kind of go for a walk. And so we went for a walk around the campus. It got to be late and we're like, we gotta head back to our dorms. And so then we went back and at this time, like you actually had these actual kind of boxes. They were called telephones. They actually were on the wall inside these rooms. And I actually found out what her room number was so I could call her, called her on the phone that night and I said, hey, would you like to go out and get some coffee perhaps sometime this week? And she was like, yeah, great, that sounds good. And I was like, great, it's a date. And so hung up and I was looking forward to that. I went to the place where there's coffee and she never showed up. <laughs> she stood me up. We remained friends though and a couple years later we began dating and uh, we got engaged and then we got married. But that, but that story, that was the beginning of our relationship. That was the beginning of our story. I love that story. Some of you have actually heard that story. I've told that to you a few times. God loves stories. God loves the story that he does here in, in the flood, the account of the flood. And it's a story that we, most of us, we know. We've heard it. We know this story. We know uh, we've got it on the nursery wall, the wallpaper on the nursery walls. We've got Noah and the ark. We tell children's stories about this. We've got coloring pages filled with happy little horses kind of getting off the ark and a big rainbow and, and all this kind of wonderful stuff. We've got children's songs. Don't ask me to sing it. I just got one out of my head this week. We're kind of walking through this. But this is also a story that we know so much about. We've got the Nephilim, these big, huge giants. We've got this giant ark filled with animals from everything from an aardvark to a zebra. And we start asking ourselves questions like, how in the world did those animals all get on there? We wonder, when we read through Genesis 6 through 9, we wonder, who are the sons of God? Who are these daughters of men? We start asking ourselves these questions. We look at this flood. We go, was it a regional flood? Was it a local flood? Was it a worldwide flood? How much water did it take to actually cover all these mountains? We've got study after study, page after page of scientific inquiry trying to give us these answers. So here's what we're gonna do. So for the rest of this morning, we're going to answer none of those questions. Go back to the story of the beginning of my wife and I. Some of you might be surprised at this, but my wife actually tells the story a little differently. <laughs> she has a different take on how our relationship actually began. She says that she actually called and canceled the date. I say that she stood me up. You see, still to this day, 
she and I, we argue. We go back and forth about the accuracy of this story. We go back and forth trying to prove these little minutia details, trying to figure out what actually happened. We spend all of our time proving or trying to prove the historical aspect of our relationship. When really the reason I'm supposed to tell the story, the reason Jen tells the story is not about a timeline. It's about remembering the beginning of a relationship. These ancient faith-forming stories that we look at in scripture, we have to do the same thing with. When we tell these stories, it is about the beginning, what God is doing. So now we're in the second act, the account of the flood. Goes through chapters six through nine of Genesis. And right before we had that, Pastor Matt kind of spent a lot of time on last week, he talked about the first act. We've been introduced to the story. God, Adam, Eve, humanity, the animal kingdom, the Imago Dei imprint that is on us. And now in the second act, we have what George Bartholomew calls the conflict that needs a resolution. The thing that goes wrong in the story and needs to be resolved. Now, all the great stories, all the great stories have a conflict, right? Right? Okay. The story of my wife and I, we have a conflict. We can't resolve that. Saruman and the One Ring in the Lord of the Rings. Long John Silva rebelling against Captain Millet in Treasure Island. Mufasa and Scar in The Lion King. You could even say that Pastor Matt's kind of top five of Pixar movies last week is in itself a conflict that needs to be properly resolved. And in our story, our story, the story that God began when he created humanity, when he created the world, the conflict is us. We are the conflict. We are the thing that went wrong. We are the thing that stopped being what we were created and meant to be. Walter Brueggemann calls it the greatest mutiny when mankind decided that it was going to exchange the truth of God for a lie. When exchanged the imprint that God put on humanity and exchanged it for a lie. When we, humanity, stopped seeing creation for who it was and what it was meant to be. It doesn't take us long to look around today and to still see that humanity has forgotten this imprint. School shootings, domestic abuse, slander, attacks on ethnicities. 
We see it in our relationships. Lying, cheating, failing to see people for who they are. And how does God see this? How does God respond? The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord was grieved. He was grieved that he made man on earth, and his heart was filled with pain. Sit on that for a second. The Lord was grieved that he made man. And it put a pain in his heart. See, we could stop there and get caught in the details, get it caught up in the, the details of the story. We can get bogged down with saying, like, well, can God actually feel an emotion? Isn't it just like some kind of anthropomorphic, you know, idea that we're just kind of attributing to God these kind of human attributes when it's God? He really can't feel these things, right? Put that aside. What the story is trying to convey is hurt and pain. Something that we attribute when we're in a relationship and we're with another party in the relationship, and they have hurt us, or they've pained us. See, this account of God and what's causing, what's going on with him, has nothing to do with some big, great deity that's kind of like, I will smite them from the face of the earth. It is, God is pained and hurt in a relationship that he wanted to have. God loves stories. He does. He loves stories. But in this story, we have hurt him. We have hurt him. And so, we, humanity, creation, forgot and decided to forget and not be what it was actually meant to be. And we went from hearing God say, in the beginning, it is good. So God's saying, I will blot it out. Right? It is good. I will blot it out. And that's what the actual account of the flood is. The flood is actually God decreating. It's a decreation of the earth, of what he made and formed in the very beginning. It even parallels what actually what happened and took place in the very beginning. Think of it. In the very beginning, it said, let the water under the sky be gathered in one place. Let there be an expanse between the waters. That was the beginning. And in the account of the flood, it says, and on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of heaven poured down. So in the beginning, God closed up the heavens to form the earth. And here, he's opening the heavens up. In the beginning, it says, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees of the land. And in the account of the flood, the waters rose and covered. Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Every living thing that moved on the earth perished. 
So God created man in his own image. Only Noah was left. The flood is a decreation. It's, the, it's what God is doing is to get humanity, creation, everything back to the drawing board. Now here's the part that we forget. God easily could have ended the story right there. That could have been the end of the story. Cut to black, that's it. Humanity rebelled, God ends the story. But God loves stories. And he chooses to keep this story going. The account of the flood is to let us know that God wants to keep this story going. And he's gonna do it through this man named Noah. See, we cannot, we look at Noah and he is different from those around him. That's what it is, that's his difference. He's different from those around him. He is one who has been responding to what God has been doing. He has been walking with him. He's been walking with God. And that's pretty much all we know of Noah. We know very little about him. There's a few different references to him in the New Testament, and we kind of know a little bit about after, kind of a little bit after the flood, but we don't really know that much about Noah. For as much as we kind of build on Noah as this kind of this, this new Adam recreating the earth, there's not a whole lot we know. And that's a good thing. Because what we need to know of him is he walked with God. And he's not the main character in this story. God is. See, we do that though, don't we? We say, Noah and the flood, right? Who in the ark? Noah and the ark. Who in the animals? Who's on the, big, who's on the coloring pages with the big rainbow behind it? Who? who? We make Noah the main character and it's God. God's the one who's doing the work. God's the one who's saying, I will do this. So he recreates. He recreates when he could have ended the story. Verse in chapter eight, it says, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be faithful and increase in number upon it. So the animals, they went and did what they were supposed to do. Noah and his family, they came out and they did what they were originally created to do and what they were recreated to do. They worshiped. Noah worshiped. You see, the revelation of God was that he bestowed grace and favor when it was not deserved. And Noah's response was to worship. 
God extended grace by saying, we will recreate through this way. Noah didn't sit there and say, well, hang on, why was it me? Why did you choose me? What about these other people? How come those animals perish? How come these? No, he simply worshiped. And here's the thing, Noah did not worship to get favor. He worshiped in response to the grace and favor that God gave. But see, we flip that. Woe is us when we come in to worship, to worship God, to get something from it. This, when we come and we gather, is to honor and to respond to the work that God is already doing. There's nothing we can do to earn that grace and favor. Even the very definition of grace and favor cannot be earned. You cannot cannot do anything to get it. Only God can give it. And we don't like that, do we? We don't like that. We like to work for something. See, we go back to that verse, we go back to chapter six where it says, so, God, so Noah found favor in God's eyes. That's how it reads in one of the tr- translations. It says, so, so Noah found favor in God's eyes. And when we read that, we read that as if Noah did something special. As if he did this big, all this kind of stuff to earn the favor of God. It's that he walked with God. There's nothing he did to earn that favor. He worshiped, he honored God. We ourselves have to kind of get away from that, kind of thinking that a good gift that is given to us, we look at and think, why are you giving me this gift? Why are you extending me this grace? I didn't earn this gift. I didn't earn this grace. And we need to accept it and reply back with a response that says, let me honor this gift. So after Noah worships, he honors God, responding back to God with the favor that God gave to him. It says that the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, catch this, never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. That's the scripture that we saw reenacted on the screen. Even though every inclination is evil from the beginning, I will remember you. I had a conversation with a, with a trusted friend a while back, and I went to this friend because I, I needed to have a really difficult conversation with somebody. And I was not sure how the conversation was actually going to go. I was a little weary about it. And so I went to my, this friend, and I said, how should I go about this? 
I'm nervous about how they're going to respond. I, I kept kind of attributing to the conversation my actions or their actions. I kept wondering, well, I don't know if I've actually earned this yet in the conversation. I don't know how they're going to respond because of this, what, what's going on. And this friend looked at me and said, Alex, what do you know of their character? Alex, you keep looking at what you've done or what they've done. You need to look at the character of the person you're talking with. See, the whole covenant idea, it works. Not because of anything we've done, but because of the character of God. Even though every inclination of us is evil from the beginning, God still says, I will keep this covenant. Even though we do a lot of things in our story for God to say, nope, it's time to be done, God still says, I'm gonna keep the story going. Because God loves stories. And God loves us. That's why he keeps it going. That's why no matter what we do, God comes back and says, I will remember this. Even though he looks at, we can look at it and be like, but God, look what humanity did to you. Look what it's doing to you now. God, can't you just do another flood? Humanity is just destroying itself. Do another flood. Wipe it out. Destroy it. He says, no. I will remember. I will remember my covenant. That never again. Never again. Why do you destroy humanity this way? So yeah, we need to keep telling the story because it's a good one. Because this story is about the beginning of our relationship with God. Yeah, there's other stories that we'll hear more about that we can actually spend more time reading that kind of talks a little bit more about the, the dating relationship of God and us when God kind of makes more of a covenant with Israel. There's a lot of other stories that kind of go into it, but this is the story of God beginning his relationship with us and how that one is carried out all throughout. So remember this story and tell this story. So maybe it is kind of important that we still have it on the, the wallpaper on our children's walls. Maybe it's important that we still color the pages. Maybe not necessarily the songs. Those will get in your head. <laughs> but let's remember the story that God said, I will not abandon you. I will not abandon you. God loves stories. He loves this story. 
And he loves the story that he's forming in us. So what can you do with this? Remember it. And tell your story. Tell the story of when you, when you were dead to sin and then made alive again. When you were recreated. When new life washed over you. Tell that story. Remember that story. What else can you do? Remember that we are the church. We are the ark for today. That though culture and the world may try to crash against us, we will withstand. And everything that is needed to recreate in the world around us is right here. We are what God chose to do and chose to be and to work his work out through us. When we are to recreate, to repopulate, to kind of bring new life to the world around us, he chose us, those who are in the ark. But let's let's not forget, we don't just hang out and stay in the ark. What did God say? Go out. Go out. Bring new life. We can't just sit here in our holy huddles. We have to take, we have to take the story to the people. We have to bring the peace to the communities. We have to bring the new life. We have to bring, we have to bring God and change what's going on around us.